Right, hi everybody. Uh, welcome to Strategy Cafe. I'm delighted to see you all on today and especially delighted to welcome uh, Chris Mason and James Mason, father and son uh, and um, managing directors both in their time of Mindshop. We've been members of Mindshop uh, community probably since 2004, something like that, so coming up on 20 years. Um, and these guys have both been really influential in our business and in my life. Uh, over over that period. So it's an absolute delight to welcome them today. And I hope you enjoy a treat of a discussion, uh, digging deep into how they managed uh, succession uh, from founder into a family business. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce um, uh, these two chaps. So Chris, do you want to just give everyone a quick background to you? Okay, well, it's uh, it's up on the up on the screen, so you can have a quick read. But basically, uh, I founded the business in 1986 as a consulting group, and then it morphed into Mindshop in '94. Uh, and um, we we're still uh, consistent to our values and our vision of uh, trying to help as many young leaders as possible. And and that was my charter because when I was in a public company, um, I didn't get much help and, and I just knew how bad that felt. And so I decided I really wanted to help young leaders and here we are today still doing it. Amazing. James? Uh, yeah, building on that, I obviously uh, stepped into this role as managing director of Mindshop in uh, around about 2000. And uh, my background before that was in uh, IT areas and uh, bachelor's of computing and the like um, but then it sort of morphed into uh, this role in, in running Mindshop as a, a global community of advisors uh, around the world and um, yeah certainly been um, on, a, on a good growth trajectory um, over that period of time. Um, welcome both of you so look, let's just uh, get into it I think it's uh, super interesting um, to think about um, founder to family uh, to be honest, it's um, probably not the first uh, discussion that happens with uh, most business people when they're coming up to retirement and thinking about the exit options that so most people are talking about getting ready for sale and thinking about the various different sale options that they've got um, and, you know, and how to exit and, um, you know, turn the years of development of the business into a retirement pot for them, right? So it's, it's not necessarily the first uh, option, and I don't think it's one that's necessarily in everyone's minds, um, but it's a fabulous option, really. It's just absolutely fabulous if you get it right. So um, I think it's really curious that it's not talked about more. Um, and um, so I guess uh, first question, um, you know, must be just really about that, Chris. You know, you must have been thinking about, you know, what your options were. So I guess I'm curious about why uh, you chose uh, uh, family succession and, you know, how you have been considering your various different options at that point. So when did this when did this come into your mind that this is what you're going to do? Um, well, I think it, if you go way back when James was still studying, uh, he came to me about where he was heading and he was doing, a, a, as he said, a bachelor of computing degree. Um, and I suggested that he set up his own company uh, in, in that field, which was uh, information management, so databases, basically. And I said, that's the big thing of the future, so why don't we set one up? And we set up a business to do secret shopper prog programs. And so that, I guess that's that was a former family business. But when, the, when your children grow up alongside of 
you and they see they see the good times and the bad times, the struggling and the successes, they can't help but learn. And the good thing about being a parent is the things that they like about you, they copy and the things they don't, they go the opposite way. So either way, you do a good job. Well, that's the way I rationalise it anyway. Um, but there's, there's usually a crisis that triggers what you were saying, Nick, in that it is I tried um, to when I first moved to the UK in 96 and then in US to try and keep growing the business, I had to leave some management capability behind me here. So I, I recruited a couple of people and each time I was unsuccessful. Um, and I can only think in hindsight that it was because I was probably asking too much of them. So if I take responsibility for it, I probably picked the wrong people and I probably picked them to do a job that was a little bit beyond them. And then we we had a, a crisis. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is, as long as you have a crisis. And I remember saying to James, right, you're now in charge. Um, and I think, James, were you 21 at the time? Something like that. Was it? Was it bit, yeah. So it, it was pretty young anyway. And, and with that comes, obviously, unfair problems because you're putting a, a big role on someone who's young. But I actually... Um, felt that that was the right idea. It, it was not as if we sat there and said, let's build a dynasty. We didn't do that. We, we, we were building a business. The family was involved. It was on the, on the outside. James had the, probably a, a, a critical part because he was the computing guy, the IT guy, the Lotus Notes guys back in those days. He was building the databases, uh, which are integral to what we do today. And so he was already a critical success factor but I think the key thing was I trusted him more than the others. But I did trust them at one stage, but unfortunately things happened where I couldn't trust them and who was left standing? James. And I think the important thing to say before I, I, I wind up this piece is the second decision I made was I'm, I'm going home. So you can't have two bosses. So I basically went and worked from home. But that was helped by the fact I was spending half my life uh, in the UK and US, but mostly UK. And I kept a car in Altrincham. I was commuting every two weeks backwards and forwards. And as you know, it's a long trip. And um, so I was missing uh, for a lot of the time and someone had to be in charge. And the only one I trusted was James. And that's how it happened. It was it was triggered by a crisis, um, mm -hmm. which turned, to be a, turned out to be a very good positive thing. So just picking uh, some of the threads of that up a little bit, I think what you're saying is that you had thought about um, uh, professional leaders, general managers or managing directors, yep. uh, not from the non-family, and that just didn't work out. No, but I'm, I'm accepting responsibility for that as well. I'm sure there's people out I could have got to do it, but I didn't find them. And maybe I wasn't yeah. supposed to, you know. Yeah. Uh, did you always have James in the mix? there was was that always a possibility were you always thinking that that might be the way it would go or did it just sort of organically ha happen well he, he was he was uh, had a skill set that was vital to us at the time but it was like a bolt-on to the firm in those days whereas now it's the skeleton of the firm whereas in those early days we were doing everything you know there was when I first started there wasn't even really the internet or anything and my first computer was very rudimentary um so we were we were kind of adopting uh, innovation, but not as the first cab off the rank, but probably the second. 
and yeah. we were and he was doing that so he did have a key role but he wasn't running the business and I got other people to run the business and they didn't do it very well and uh I was able to jump back in because I was operating the UK part primarily with a mm -hmm. separate entity, uh, which was important. And um, yeah, I, I remember saying to James, or whether I dreamt this, I don't know, but in my mind, I said, well, I've just, you know, we're going to about to uh, spend some money on a very expensive MBA for you, meaning the life, life challenge one, go and sort this mess out. Uh, you're in charge, go for it. And, and it, and that's got good and bad bits to it, of course. Um, but I think the outcome has been brilliant. One of the things you said to me before we come to James, I'm just super interested to hear James, how James experienced this and uh, to get his perspective. But just before we get to that, one of the things you said to me when we were chatting uh, was um, that the idea of a sale is a distraction. Um, and, um, you know, that, um, uh, you know, maybe takes your mind off uh the more important thing so um i think that's quite a curious uh mindset and uh i, I certainly recognize it with a lot of clients that when they're thinking about sale then they do get distracted by it but i guess a lot of people would say you know start with the end in mind and think about the value and focus on you know getting that sale so it's just an interesting angle and um yeah i wonder what your thoughts were about that why you see why you saw it as a distraction well i think it, it comes back to that word trust again, like that we have had conversation with people, but nothing recently at all. Um, and in part, I, because we know we don't want to sell. Um, James might, when he, when I'm not here, he might do it, but I don't want to. And um, because of what I said before about helping people, but the people that we did speak to about um, potentially buying it at one point, we're going to use it exclusively for them. And I that wasn't the reason we set it up. So there was a almost like a, a, a bit of friction on the values. There wasn't a good fit there. And so, yeah. um, but we, we have spun off an, another business as well. So that we've done other things as well. We're not just doing this, um, but this remains our, a, key, a key business for us. And um, we've got, you know, a very experienced person in charge of it. Um, and, and and it's prospered because of him. That's that's the thing. You, you, the, the the family member has to make their own mark. And you know, there's always going to be in those very early days some thought of nepotism. Um, but the only way you can prove that not to be the case is to surprise everyone, pleasantly surprise them, with how well you do. And James has certainly done that. We better come to you, James. So uh, tell us what was what was this like for you? Uh, yeah, well, very aligned to what, what Chris is talking about. I think, um, you know, would I recommend it as a pathway for every family business? Probably not. Um, I think, um, yeah, but it was through necessity that we went down this sort of pathway and it's, you know, we've now, as Chris touched on, um, you know, my, my brother runs a, a business that, um, we also have ownership in, um, my sister runs the operations, um, for the family. So it's sort of evolved over time, but, I think out of, as Chris touched on, the, the, the sort of necessity through crisis and, and also being a quite a um, early days of the business back then, you start to be able to um, work out what it is that you really want. And I think when you think of the business and what we were trying to do as a family, it was trying to get stability, success, um, especially when you're in this line of business, you, you want to be actually 
demonstrating that you've paved the way before you're giving advice to others as well. So for us, it was very much about, well, we want to create a success story in, in MindShop so we can then teach people the lessons that we've learned. And if we're telling people to you know, have your core business as a cash cow and invest in other businesses as you're going and, and all of those... Uh, we didn't want to be hypocrites that we, you know, not doing it ourselves. And we're, you know, those advisors that are just out there doing that. So that was always front of mind for me that I didn't want to step past um, my level of capability. So I was, I was very much a just run fast and, and ask lots of questions um, in those early days. And uh, yeah, as I said, would I recommend it as the, the pathway? Maybe not. Um, but again, it's certainly given me the, the speed as to where we are now. I think, I mean, in a way, uh, Chris's comment is great. Um, uh, we're going to give you a very expensive MBA, right? And uh, that's uh, quite a nice line. Um, um, and, um, you know, one of the things you might criticize about an MBA is it's not for real. It's, uh, you know, I know they get experience and they get out to do projects and stuff like that, but it's, uh, it's you know, in a way, it's, it's, it's not for real. And, yeah, um, and I think yeah, that's really important. For real is very different, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was even having a conversation with a, an offshore resource we'd brought on in the last week. And, and he said, the thing I love about this role at the moment is I'm not spending a month doing training and then getting onto real stuff. You're throwing me into the real stuff now. And I think that's what I've done for, you know, 23 plus years of just learn as you go. And it's all the things we train people in. It's that agile thinking and 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 just surrounding yourself with a good community of people that you, you can't slip up too far because you've got really experienced sounding boards all, all the way along. And I think as long as you know, you know how to play to your strengths and and that evolves over time and and leveraging chris and others and, and you know that's that's where you get the evolution but it's that alignment um the whole way through which is which has been key but yeah now i'm a big proponent of, of learning as you go i i uh i can't imagine that this handover didn't somewhat frazzle your brain um and maybe you were really ready for it but um it sounds uh like it would frazzle mine um and uh when we were chatting about it you talked a little bit about sort of cuts and bruises this uh kind of nice way of talking about um you know the early challenges maybe you could just talk about that a little bit so what did you find um hardest you know in the earlier years yeah i i think not having the experience you're in um directing traffic on a fast growing business with you know back then there's you know lots of politics lots of new technology coming through um you, you're telling consultants how to drive high performance and i you know still don't have, probably have enough gray hair uh now but certainly back then had didn't have any at all uh and it's an industry which is looking to people on that so you're trying to find your role um you're trying to sort of learn as you're telling um which is a which is a challenge and also trying to find your authentic voice and, and where you fit as well. And probably back then you, you get probably a, a bit of imposter syndrome to a certain extent that you're trying to be all things to all people. And, and that drives a bit of anxiety and, and self-doubt and, and all of those things. But I think through maturity and time and enough good people around you, you start to mature into what works and what doesn't and, and trying to find your own voice and where, where that fits and where my strength is and where other family members' strengths are and where Chris and we we then all cover each other's weaknesses. And I think that just takes time and maturity. But certainly in those early days, it's um where you're flying blind on so many things. Uh, yeah, the, the best advice I could give for others on the same sort of journey is to uh, make sure you've just got a really good trusted group around you that which which I did in those days to just see you through some of those really sort of 
darker times or areas where you're flying blind and completely out your comfort zone. So, yeah, lots of bumps and scratches as you touched on, but would I, in hindsight, have it any other way? Probably not because I've been on almost a fast track trajectory to where I am now um, where you can be who you are and, and I don't think I would have got here as quickly without all of that side of things. It's a lovely idea um, um, of, you know, finding out who you are or coming into who you really are. And uh, I love the way you speak about, um, you know, creating authenticity. So doing it the way that you want to advise other people to do it. It's the curious thing about being an advisory um, that, you know, your job is to help other people. So how do you then look at yourself in the first instance? I think you kind of touched on that really well. And it's really lovely to hear you be so open about this idea of imposter syndrome. So I guess my I've got a question there, which is, um, do you do you remember do you remember the uh, the time um, when uh, you woke up and suddenly you felt comfortable in your own skin? Do you remember when no. that was? It's a simple <laughs> answer. Um, no, I think it just it morphs and areas of weakness dissolve over time as you get more experiences. I think that's what tends to happen that you. It's not a one moment thing. You know, you become more effective at financial performance and the metrics of the business than you might from a, um, you know, cleverness in, uh, you know, some of the content they're creating. Then it's in the ability to present, then it's ability to coach, then it's ability to manage. And and everything's got a, a gentle dissolving of that. Um, those weaknesses and then you know if you're pushing ahead you're, you're going to hit other ones and, and then you can embrace those but I think it's getting that in those early days you don't have, really have a really firm foundation your firm foundation is family and the values and all the things through upbringing and the people you surround yourself with but you don't get that um, stability on the way through but now there's a really stable backbone and now yeah. you can put the accelerator down and pushing yourself into other areas to um just continue to to learn and evolve and, and the like as well but um yeah i don't think there's one one moment with those things it's just this gentle evolution if you like i love that I feel, I feel, to me i've got a, an image in my head of like catching up with a wave and then leading the wave uh it's like a process of uh of uh you know being a bit on the fat back foot and then really just choosing where you're going next and the waves sort of following you along i love i love the yeah. description no so I let's agree. just Let's get into, thank you very much, James. Let's get into the dynamic uh, of it. So um, uh, so one of the things that people find really difficult to get right is um, is, their, is their relational dynamic and also how that translates into what's the right role. So how, do you, how, your role, how did you decide on your roles in this critical relationship and have they evolved? Chris can go first on that one, I'd say. Okay. I'm happy to wait, but the... the um, well, it was clear that James was in charge. So that meant, um, but I was chairman. Now, technically, a chairman could overrule the managing director, but that ne never happens because we don't work it that way. So James calls all the shots, but he has always um, sought my counsel on things um, when, you know, obviously most things he doesn't because he can he just decides them. But if, he, if he's got any doubt in his mind, he will he will just bounce it off me. But... I'm more likely to give um, uh, options rather than a suggested way forward, uh, and then he can he can decide. That seems to work really well, uh, and that's been an equal partnership, and that's an important thing for people on the on this um, conference call. 
to think about is, you know, is it genuinely an equal thing? Do you really, you, you can say it, but do you act it? Is your behaviour in line with what you're saying? So that's the authenticity again. And, and authenticity, by the way, is one of our six core values. So we, we need to make sure we do that. But my role became easy where I became more um, a, the consultant and, and the coach of other consultants. Uh, and I felt that was important because I thought most CEOs, which I was in, before James, spend their whole time in the office driving things. Whereas I reckon it's a bit of a radical view, but why wouldn't the CEO be out in the field with the customer 100% of the time? So that's what I do. So I'm, I don't have much admin to do. Everything I do is customer related, client related. And so I tend to know better than most what's happening in the marketplace, um, what issues are happening, uh, emerging trends, new technologies, um, barriers, all those things. And I, I see that clearly as my job. And at my age, because um, I'm working later than most people do and intend to keep going, I, I've always had the vision that I would be a wise old man. Now, the old bits happened. The hard part is how do you stay wise in doing that? And the best way i found is to immerse yourself in ever-increasingly difficult situations. So if you're always a little bit that butterflies in the stomach, a little bit worried about, God, if I get this wrong, uh, it's, it's serious. I'm in that mode quite a lot. And I love that because that's that's a sign to me that I'm learning. And I'm trying to get a 20% compound growth in my capability every year, which means I double, if I could do it, I could double every four or five years, which is what I'm trying to do. And so that's the other reason that I don't, uh, there's no intention uh, to retire just yet. Um, I'll look at it when I turn 80 and, and make a decision there, but it's on, I would think it's unlikely. I'll, I'll probably wind back, but I won't need to wind back until then. I think because I'm, my role, is valuable to the business. I find it fun. I just hang out with my buddies all day, but I'm, I feel I'm making a difference. Now, that might be just conjecture in my head, but I feel I'm making a difference. And so I'm winning. Hopefully, James is winning. I'm sure you're going to ask him. And uh, I, hopefully, the clients are winning too by my continuing involvement. Um, so that's, that's it. That's how the roles have evolved. He's the boss, and I am one of his... Um, probably most valuable employees in that I'm doing a vital role for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think build. Yeah, no, we're building on that. Um, yeah, I think it, it, as you can tell, he, he yeah, quite passionate about the areas that he's working in now. And I think what that's done is really we've evolved over the time to, to as I said earlier, play to people's strengths. Um, you know, and found where each other can. Play best and I think that's a key if somebody's coming through and any sort of family business if anybody's listening to this is is finding that gentle evolution of people's roles and making sure that they're again playing a critical role in the in the business and that sort of morphs every four or five years but for us it's been this sort of continual journey and it worked better to you know have Chris you know back you know 23 years ago really you know not come to the office so no real operational understanding on that front but that then made him probably at the peak of his game now in the role that he has to play um, and still relevant and still energised and and the like as, as well. So, um, yeah, the dynamic over time is just having those good candid conversations and, and any time I've had a family business come to me for that chat, 
it's they're looking for a, a tool or a methodology or an approach to it. And it's I'm always saying you, you just got to have good open communication and just help people get where they want to get on that journey with the business and with the values in mind, but also with the each person's at a different pace and a different journey of themselves. So you just got to have good conversations. That makes so much sense. And um, Paul, Paul's asked you both a question. Uh, given you both still involved in the business, how do you handle disagreement on key strategic decisions between you? He says, in my experience, it's always very hard for a former founder to stop themselves meddling beyond what's helpful, which is entirely understandable because motives would be so positive. So maybe James, you know, pick that one up. James, go first on that one. It's an easy yeah. answer. That yeah, well, I think as Chris touched on earlier, it's sort of the buck stops with one person. Um, but uh you know you can but you're going to have to have healthy debates but i think it's it's going in with the right mindset that it's it's good and constructive with the right you know we're all trying to get the right outcome here so whilst we'll all um you know get wise counsel on things there's there's one person that has to make the tough decisions and and you just got to be again authentic that that's not going to always be a, a bed of roses but we can all have those discussions and then you know five seconds later we move on um that that's how it's got to be and i and nick i i don't i can't remember where we've had that problem come up that paul was talking about um because of the clarity of of the roles is it's not my decision and i i see it i'm i think i'm a bit of a specialist in family businesses you know if you go way back 30 40 years and i do see dads and mums interfering where they shouldn't and i think i've watched that and learned from it and go yeah. I'm, I'm never going to do that but you see I'm not then harboring that any resentment or anything because I've never sat there. I can never remember thinking, God, he's going the wrong way, but I'm not going to say anything. That's never happened. It's mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily consensus, but we we're so aligned in what we in our vision of how it's going to end up and how technology is going to impact and where we go and what we do on vital strategic there's never been a need for a, an argument because. We are so aligned because it's evolved over such a long time. That's what people comment about. Gee, you've been going for a long time. Okay, well, it is. But when you do that, it's like a maturing. It's like a good wine. It just matures, mm -hmm. and the problems don't come up. I think it's when people rush, or or the dads. I'll say dads, but I mean mums at the same time. But if the dads um, forget what their role is because of frustration and, and worry and concern about family money or what, oh, we're going to lose everything or whatever they're worried about. Um, I feel sorry for them because we haven't had that. We've, we've always been on the same page and it's not because one of us is backing down. It's just, I think it's the, the slow simmering development of the vision and the values has enabled us to get to this point so far, who knows about the future, but without a problem. But I think if I just accept that the business is James and the IT business is Brett's and, and when Emily's got something, it'll be hers, the problem won't occur because we're not fighting, we're sharing. We have a sharing culture, we share everything. So that's why it works, I think. Can't find the right words, but that's what I think. That's really eloquent. James, do you want to come back on that? No, no, I think it's, uh, no, he said it quite well. Um, and uh, yeah, you just got to work out what's important. I think we've, you know, when we've always had a couple of just core tenants that, you know, we're not empire builders. We like to work with customers that you can bring home for dinner. Um, 
you know, it's it's about family first. All these sort of things shape your decision making. So, yeah, could we be three, four times the size we are today? Probably, but would it have put friction into areas that we didn't want to? So, there's a lot of things that play into all of the decision making. But I think we're we're certainly aligned on those side of things. And um, yeah, you just got to play on. Uh, very good. So I'm just really curious about uh, about title. So um, in our conversation, nothing really has come up. I mean, you have alluded to titles, um, but quite often people get very stark in succession on this point because, um, you know, to my mind, they, uh, you know, have an overly fixed idea of title and role. Um, you know, and it's it's all bound up with status and, you know, hierarchy and, you know, all of those sorts of ideas, which are really to my mind, not that helpful. Uh, you know, in a business, you want to uh, play out the right role rather than worry too much about status and title. And um, and and maybe role names should speak more to uh, what you're doing within the organisation, your capability, and how you you know what you bring. Um, but you guys haven't really talked too much about titles, like um, you mentioned chair and uh, CEO, managing director. I think sometimes you talk about coach uh, or mentor. Um, and ultimately, it sounds like it's very organic. But how did you work out uh, the title side of things? Or did, you, did that not bother you? It, it uh, yeah, jumping in there um, for the short version is that um, yeah, it's not an issue. It's not it's not something we think a lot about. I think we're very outcome driven. Um, I actually find it tough to come up with titles. I know people perform certain functions and do certain things, but I don't get hung up on structures and titles. We're very flat in how we run things and more focus on performance and playing to people's strengths. So when it came to the family as itself, it's just playing people into a role to achieve an outcome. And I think- How would you cap- Sorry, no, I was just gonna say that I remember 25 years ago getting some business card printed and taking the title off. And I've not had it since, because I'm too scared. Yeah, I just, yeah. they just need to know how to contact me. They don't, like they'll make up their own mind when they meet me or hear about me, they're not, a title doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and um, so just talk to me a little bit about the wider family. So um, uh, the family business is more than just you two, right? So uh, how how does that work? Okay, so I'll, I guess uh, I'll mention that. So my wife, is Julie, is involved as well because we have a, a charitable trust, you'd call it, the Americans would call it foundation. We've had one of those for 25 plus years and and Julie has been instrumental in managing that day-to-day operation. So she's involved. Um, We've already mentioned that uh, Emily works with James to help drive Mindshop and she's a a great operator. We got her to do an MBA, the theoretical one you were talking about, Nick, to supplement what she's learning in the School of Hard Knocks. Uh, And Brett's got this really good, fast-growing IT business, which we set up 12 years ago. And um, I think the thing I was thinking when you were talking about it 15 minutes ago is we work together, but we actually play together as well. So James was around here. There was some public holiday on Tuesdays. He popped in in the afternoon, just an email. Are you guys around? We're popping in. He's an hour's drive away or 45 minutes drive away. And um, so we hang out. And, um, you know, I, the other thing I want to mention too is that we're all – Everyone that's working directly in my shop is extremely well supported by their spouses. They mm. all come from business type families. So they just know there's long hours and uh, you know, blood, sweat and tears that have to go. Into this. And we none of us could have done it without the backing that our partners ha- have been able to provide. And that's important because 
that can be a friction point in a family business if there is a spouse somewhere that thinks they're not getting the fair share or their husband's doing or wife is doing more than they should we've, we've not had any of that because it's not just the five masons there's there's everyone else as well so there's three other spouses in there that are, are, are very very supportive as well i should, should mention that and that's how the family dynamics work work together but play together and trust each other and when in when in doubt you decide what's best for the family and that that fixes everything James, do you have comments? No, no, just reinforce. Um, yeah, Chris, again, um, yeah, nothing more to add on that one. Um, William Pedro's asked a question. Do you think you're lucky uh, that you share your vision and values? Um, I'll start off, James can add. Um, I don't think it's luck. I think, you know, the old adage that you make your own, I think applies literally here, that we've been careful we've been considerate and we've been measured and you know we've been slow and we haven't grown for the sake of growth as James said we've we've really um tried to do a good job and that sometimes you know the old adage again masterpieces take time so we're not in a rush and because we are kind of at this stage building a dynasty there is no rush like it doesn't matter how long things take I'll be dead and gone and and James is likely to be still running it, but we might have spun off some other things by then. But I think Mindshop could easily become a community purpose in the long run. Who knows? Mm. No, and, and I think, um, yeah, is it is it luck? Oh, no, I think, don't think it's luck. I think it's just upbringing. Um, and you just end up in a similar headspace and probably, you know, Chris has got one version of that. I'll, I'll probably have another, but there's lots of common elements behind that um, where you're looking again it's about stability versus speed security and I think that comes out of a foundation of um, you know all of us coming you know through the school of hard knocks you know we we didn't have you know wealthy families all around us that sort of set us up so we built it from from nothing and and I think that drives you as well that you do cherish the stability that you you may not have had and seen in you know growing up um, to make sure that that doesn't um, isn't risked at any particular time. So a lot of those things do drive you in your decision-making going forward of what's important. And as we touched on earlier, you know, we're very, very protective of the type of people we work with as well. Um, and, that, and that shapes our decisions too. So. And another cool. factor I think is a lot of our clients that have been with us 25, 30 years, it's going to sound a bit weak, but I'm going to say it anyway. They're, they're almost like family anyway. Like we're, we're not just the masons it's a it is a wider family the people like yourself nick that have been here for a long time and there's lots of them lots and lots of them um i consider them family i know what they're doing i know their dogs names all that stuff because they are part of the family so it is that is also a support thing we're surrounded by really smart people they're advisors that's what they do for a living they're educated they're intelligent and they're available you know james will have coffee with some of the senior guys particularly in australia um, yeah, bouncing things off them. Uh, so that happens as well. I was going to ask you about that because it seems like really core to um, family business that actually it creates, um, you know, not always, but often it creates a difference because um, the way I see it, 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 it the way, because you're working with each other, 
within the business um, um, that you know there's a there's a degree to which the, your family relationship values and um, uh, approaches um, have to be congruent with where you approach everyone else and so a bit of the sort of family attitude seems to just sort of spread out Anyway, it includes all the sort of li uh, little things like uh, you care about things a little bit more deeply. Uh, that seems unfair because I'm sure other people do too. But there's just this, it seems to me like there is this additional vibe in a family business where there's just a bit more of that. Yeah, I think you're right. And and I think there's those common sparks, if you like, of, uh, you know, tenacity and heading in a similar direction. But I think that the key to that for success in a family business is making sure you appreciate, again, the differences and the different pathways people want to take as a family as well and embrace those too. Because I think, you know, I've got a very different mindset to probably everybody else in the family in certain ways and, and they probably see strength and weaknesses in my approach and, and vice versa. But I think if you're not helping each other get where you're trying to get to and, and understanding that and appreciating people's differences, um, you know, and, and the fact that things can grind at times, uh, you, uh, you know, it, you just won't get sustainability going going forward. So that just comes through, again, good, open, honest communication and, and understanding where people are at. Thank you both very much. So I've got one last question for you, and then we're going to wrap up and open up for everyone to ask questions if they wish to. So um, just kind of just curious about the, um, the, the road ahead. Um, um, for both of you, I'm just going to drop the slides for a minute. And um, you know, so what's uh, the vision for you guys? Um, you know, what's the next 20 years uh, for you two, for the family, for the Mason family, and the mine shop? I'll let James do that one. There you go. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I mean, certainly from my perspective, it's about continuing on our vision of, of creating high-performing advisors and, and leaders around the world that have got the leverage and the skills that they you know, that will hold them in good stead. So that that's always evolving and the like. So that's certainly driving that perspective. But the thing that it always interests me is again, this notion of, you know, mind shop is a almost like a living and breathing organism, if you like, that that will continue to spear out other opportunities over time. Um, just like in we you know train others in around their advisory businesses or spin off other opportunities as well so you know the, the vision is to continue to grow um but not uh, you know in a in a ridiculous sense there'll be a lot of the you know some of our plans are, without bogging down in the detail knowing the time is around lots of technology initiatives and um there's quite some exciting things coming through there which will give a lot of leverage but it's just to continue to work with some good people help them get leverage, success, and all play well and, and spin off some good opportunities going forward into the into the future. Um, so whether that involves a eventual exit, who who knows? Um, if we get to a point where it's we don't have the capability coming through that can drive future growth or sustainability in the business, that still might be something. But um, yeah, who, who knows at this stage? Can I ask another my, question? My vision. My vision. Sorry, my vision, Nick, is a, a bit shorter um, because of the age difference, um, but I totally support what James said. And uh, for as long as I can, I'm going to be helping. That's my vision. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, question, thank you very much, Chris. Uh, the one question I wanted to ask is, um, I remember, um, I can't remember who it was now, but um, one of the mind shop advisors in Australia 
uh, did a presentation back in 2004, I think. Uh, and uh, she said a phrase which really struck me and has kind of resonated and clanked around my head ever since, uh, which is succession starts at the beginning. Um, and uh, so just, you know, maybe uh, invite you just to turn to that a little bit. And, um, you know, you've mentioned the possibility of exit, but if you come back into um, family um, and, uh, and this idea of succession, you know, what's your vision there and uh, how do you see that playing out? Well, Chris, can you go first on this one? Yeah, yeah well, that's your right this time, I think. Um, well, I, I'm not seeing that, like, my children's children are necessarily lining up to to do this. So it might not, it might be a very short duration dynasty, James, me, and that's it. Um, but it won't be my problem. Um, and it, I'm 100% comfortable with whatever James decides will be good, but while I'm around and have a say in it, I'd like it to continue as it is. Um, and, um, but I wouldn't insist. As I said, I, I would never do that. Um, so I, I think um, succession starts at the beginning, but it gets continued by constant evolving of capability. And if James was had been unable to do that, this wouldn't have worked. But I wouldn't still be here if I hadn't done it either. So you can't sit as a dad or mum and rest on your laurels and say, well, I founded this. I mean, no, the world is changing fast. What What is your contribution going to be over the next five years? I'm clear on what mine is. And that mm. makes me wake up in the morning not worried about anything, not stressed, just get on with it because I have that clarity of vision. I think a lot of people that have been the boss find it hard to know what their role is going to be. And then they do get worried. And through that worry and anxiety, they jump back in and start interfering. You can stop that by having clearer vision and building the capability of the people coming behind you, the young ones. The future is the young ones, not the old ones. Good credit to those guys and girls for setting it up in the first place. But now it's about the young ones and never lose that side. Mm. Yeah, um, and yeah, from my perspective, uh, I'm probably not looking out 20 years, to be honest, um, but certainly the next five to 10 years, it's continuing to to grow the business from my perspective. I, I think when I think of my children who are sort of late teens, um, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly going to be embracing them, going down whatever path that suits them um, uh, and at this early stage, who knows whether Mind Shop will be even close to any of their. I think for a lot of them, they've probably got interest well well beyond the business, um, and and that's exciting too because that then might fulfil the strategy of Mind Shop being a microcosm that throws up lots. Of, I mean, it builds by the nature of our business lots of skills that help in that sense as well. But I wouldn't be um, pushing them to go down the route of of joining the business as a as a first preference. To be honest, um, if it didn't suit. With where they wanted to be as, as people. Thank you both very much um, for the discussion. I'm going to wrap up the live uh, cast there. I just want to do a couple of slides for placeholders for events. So uh, in May, we're going to keep going uh, on this topic and we're going to have an internal strategy cafe. Just, you know, but digging a little bit deeper into the topic that James and Chris have been discussing today. You know, have you got a handover plan in place? What options have you considered? Um, you know, what's your relationship going to be through and after succession? How do you hand over power? Do you do it this way? Are there other options that would work for you? 
how do you think about your roles, uh, you know, shared leadership roles, how that process can work and all of the other options. So uh, hopefully a really good uh, session. Uh, so sign up for that. So you can check it out on the website and we'll send out invitations. And then on the 15th of June, I'm presenting at the Institute for Family Business annual conference in Glasgow. Just looking at this interesting idea of the non-family leader within family business and we've got four clients joining us from either side of that um, dynamic uh, to talk about problems and opportunities so the idea is it's going to be you know one of our specials it'll be a bit of a dead cat conversation live so it should be super fun and you can find out about the ifb conference um, at their website or through us and then on the 16th of october just privileged and delighted to be working with farron co uh, KPMG and the IFB to put a succession masterclass uh, together. Uh, so it should be super interesting as well. It'll be a whole day for people on how to work your way through all of the conundrums that this stuff presents.